Do you remember your school report cards and you get the comments from the teacher? And I, I remember mine from, I meant to bring a couple this morning again, but I, I read all the great comments back then. But it was comments like, uh, Christopher can try harder. It was always Christopher until <laughs> about grade 11. Um, but it was, it was always Christopher could try harder. Christopher is not applying himself. Christopher should put more effort in. Not all reports are as good as that. But there are times like there when you're waiting for a report on something. And it's the tricks who have to wait right through the month of December for their report and hope that the report is a good report. Or your parents waiting for the school report from your children, hoping that it will be a good report. I don't know what it is like now, but when I was a child, we weren't allowed to open the reports. Uh, parents had to open them first, and it was, well, it was unfortunate, you know, because what, sometimes what, what the school would do is hand out the report before, at that last day of school term. And you just knew that the holidays were going to be awful. <laughs> and so, I mean, how many of you did this right? So you hide the report in the bottom of your bag until the first day of school. Because then your parents can't, can't keep you home during the holidays to punish you for the report that you receive. But whatever it is, I mean, it's all sorts of reports that we get. You're on the board, you leave the job, and you're going to a new job, and you hope that the previous boss will give you a good report for the new job that you're going to. Or you have one of those performance reviews, which many dread, um, where your peers report on, your, on, on what you've done. And what will that report say? You know, this man is at the bottom and he's going to do. Um, or, or you're waiting for that medical report to come through and you wonder, what result will I get from that? Or you're waiting for the psych report, um, the psychologist report, wondering what, what, what news is going to come. And, and if it's good news, there's a relief, isn't it? It's like, sigh, oh, it's all okay. Thank goodness, I can enjoy my holiday. So let me remind you that Paul has been waiting for Timothy's report. Here's how it went, right? Paul, Paul Timothy, and Silas are in Turkey, wondering where to go. They have this vision of a man in Macedonia, northern Greece. Saying, come here. So off they go. They head off there. They get to Philippi, where they're beaten and put in stocks and locked up in jail. And then sent on their way the next morning, escorted out of town. They go from there to a town called Berea. No, I lied. They don't. They go from Philippi to Thessalonica. They're in Thessalonica for three weeks. And a riot ensues. And they're chased out of town. Where they then arrive at a town called Berea, only to find that some of the guys from Thessalonica have followed them and stirred up the crowd in Berea. So they have to leave Berea and they go to Athens. And when they get to Athens, they, things go okay, but they're subjected to jeering and sneering and have to leave Athens in a hurry. And it's at that point, I think, that Paul says to Timothy, please go back to Thessalonica, see what's going on there. Paul carries on and gets to the town of Corinth. And at Corinth, he's dragged before the proconsul, the, the kind of the, the mayor of the town. And while in front of the proconsul, the, the, some of the guys who are unhappy with what Paul has been saying, drag him one of the new converts, a guy called Sosthenes, and beat him up in front of the proconsul with Paul having the front row seat. And at that point, you've got to sit with Paul thinking, 
to do the right thing, coming to Greece. Maybe we should stay in Turkey. And Paul, you, 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 you've got to be wondering, what are we doing here? Because if, everywhere that he's gone ever since he arrived, he just seems to have been disaster after disaster. Nothing has gone well. And now he's in Corinth, and oh yes, he does hear the Lord speak to him, and God says, stay in Corinth for a while, and, and keep preaching, because I have many people in this town. There are many people who must be saved. But even so, Paul's sitting in Corinth, waiting for Timothy to come back and to bring some kind of report of, of what's gone on in Thessalonica. And, and what will that report be? Is Timothy going to arrive back and say, you know, it's no good Paul. The church folded the week after we left. There was conflict in the band because the tuba player wanted to do a solo on Sunday morning. And then someone got in a half and left because they used liquid fruit for communion. How dare they? And then that family, you know that key family that everyone thought would be the family? Well, they left because one of the elders didn't smile at them very nicely. Because that does happen in churches, right? Those are legit reasons for people to leave, apparently. And I can imagine, you know, that kind of response, Timothy going, let's just pack it all in, let's go back to Antioch, because pff, it's a waste. Or will there be a better report? Will there be something better to hold on to? So Paul is sitting in Corinth, literally holding his breath, right? Sitting, waiting with bated breath. What kind of report am I going to get? And he's having to hold his breath for a very long time. Because it's a 350 kilometer trip there and then back again with some time in the town. And Timothy's not driving. He's walking. And here's Timothy's report. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But Timothy has just now, tells you that Paul is South Africa, just now. <laughs> Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news, a good report about your faith and your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Can you feel Paul's relief in that passage? It's like, now we can read. Now I live. Good news. You didn't fall apart. 
You've stood firm. Your faith and love are on display. And there's this burden. You can sense it. That's just come off Paul's shoulders. And there's almost a sense of Paul saying, thank goodness it hasn't all collapsed. We can carry on. We'll carry on with ministry here at Corinth. This church planting lock is not in vain. And the anxiety is off his shoulders. And you can see what Paul is excited about. He's excited about the prayers that have been answered. And, and Paul's not saying, thank goodness you passed your exam. I'm so relieved you got the job. You've got the promotion. I'm so glad the camper van arrived. As exciting as those things might be. Right? But Paul is delighted to hear that in the face of difficulty, in the face of hardship, their faith and their love have endured and in fact even increased. And his relief just comes out in the sense of, I thank God. In fact, it's more than that. It's more like, how could I ever thank God enough? Because, you see, it's not just about Paul going, oh good, you stood firm. That just shows what a great job I did in planting and establishing this church. Nor is Paul saying, well done, you stood firm, you dug deep and held on, and isn't that great? No, no, his entire thing is, God has kept you. And I'm thankful to God for what God has done in you. God has made these believers, believers what they were, and God gets the credit. Now we're going to look at this passage by focusing on kind of the last couple of verses, that benediction, where Paul goes, now May, and there's three Mays there, if only we were in the month of May, not September, this would have made more sense. But uh, there are three Mays in that passage, at the end, and each of those three maids refer back to something that he's been given thanks for in, in the little bit beforehand. But before we get to that, let me just make one last quick comment. Paul hasn't seen these people for quite some time. Life has been hard for him. Life has been hard for them. And Paul has wondered about their faith. Will they come through this hardship with faith intact. And can I say that I've kind of felt much the same in this past year, year and a half. We've gone through strange times. And I've wondered, will the church stand firm? Or will we retreat? Will faith and love continue to grow? Or will faith diminish and love grow cold? And a bit of both has happened in our church. It's been concerning to see that for some it appears that faith has diminished. And so again, the appeal this morning is to those who aren't here and to those who aren't watching online. But we're in the face of distance and separation in that strange place where, where being church is hard. And to have seen faith decrease and to say, don't retreat in the face of hardship, don't let love grow cold. But then for those of us that are here, and for those of us that are watching online this morning, to say, I, I think in all honesty, we know this, we're going to continue to do church like this for some time to come, I guess. We pray that it changes. And I appeal to you to be like this Thessalonian, Thessalonian church, to hang in there, to let love overflow, to let faith increase, don't retreat. Press on and press in. How will we get there? The three mays. Number one, may God clear the way, Paul says. 
Paul wants to get back to Thessalonia, Thessalonica. He wants to he wants to get back to his people. And it may be that when they were chased out of town and Jason had to, to post bond, had to pay a bail for him, it, it may well be that one of the conditions of the bail would be that Paul is never allowed in this town again. And so the chances of Paul actually getting back into the town are very slim. And I don't know if Paul ever actually did get back there. We're not told. We don't know. We do know that once Paul had gone all the way, I mean, this line goes right up at the top. Corinth is all the way down at the bottom of Greece. And that once he finished in Corinth, after about 18 months there, he went back all the way up through Macedonia and back into Turkey and down to Syria. And so we do know that he traveled back in that direction, but did he actually go into the city? We don't know. He did travel with some people from Thessalonica. We read about that, I think, chapter 19 of Acts. But whether or not he actually got back into the city, he wanted to get back there. And why? Why did he want to go? Have more sightseeing? Have a little bit of a party and celebration? Verse 11 says, May God make it clear for us to come to you. But verse 10 tells us why he wants to go back. He says, We're praying earnestly, night and day, to come back to you so that we can supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul says, I want to come back to you to supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wants to go back. He's praying earnestly that God will make it possible. And the reason to go back is so that I may, may supply what is lacking in your faith. Which is kind of a strange statement to make. Particularly in light of the fact that Timothy started this good report by saying, what great faith this church has. So if, they, if, if they're commended for their faith, why does Paul want to supply something that's lacking there? And then later on in verse 7, where Paul says, I'm encouraged in my distress by your faith. He says, I see your faith and it encourages me. Now I want to come and supply what's lacking in your faith. Why? It seems like, on, on the one hand, that their faith is doing just fine. And yet Paul wants to come and supply what is lacking. Timothy's report highlights faith. It highlights their faith in Jesus that is unshaken in hardship. And faith in Jesus that is unshakable in hardship is a sign of maturity in the Christian life. In the face of distress and difficulty, persistent faith in God is a sign of maturity. Something that we should all aim for. And when in the times of difficulty faith diminishes, well, I think we get it. That's not a good sign. That would indicate something other than maturity. And Paul is excited by the faith on display with the Thessalonians. And he says, your faith encourages me. So again, I, I don't know how you responded. I found and faced some discouragement in this past year. I found it kind of hard to preach on Sunday mornings to 20 or 30 people. Although this morning is, I don't know, 140 people maybe. Much better. Um, it's a lot easier to do. I found it very discouraging to preach to a ca camera in the garage and not know whether anyone's smiling or not. Not only even with your mask, I still don't know if you're smiling or not. It's still difficult. Um, but you know what has encouraged me? To, to know that the faith of some has continued or even increased. Because we've seen that in some. We've seen that in many. Have you ever found that for yourself, that the faith of someone else has encouraged and stimulated you? 
So in our church over the years, we, we've had people who have gone through difficulty. And the way they have dealt with that has in, inspired and, and kind of built up faith in me. You know, some of you will remember the names. Uh, Mike Ingram and how he dealt with a brain tumor. Or Dave Dubell and how he faced colon cancer and whatever else. I always remember one of the best moments of Dave. He was in hospital and uh, someone came into the hospital and said, is he doing okay? And he said, he's fine, but he is experiencing a little bit of loose stool. Awkward. Uh, about half an hour later, the maintenance man arrived with a wrench. <laughs> I think there's a new stool in here <laughs> To watch Liz and Owen and others who struggle and yet remain faithful and filled with the joy of the face of God and how that has stirred our faith. We're encouraged to see how others withstand trials. And I, I guess the opposite can also be true. That it's easy to grow a little downhearted when the faith of others seems to fail. How is faith increased though, other than looking at other people? How, how is faith increased? Is it try harder, believe more, you can do it, let go, let God. What is it that's lacking in their faith that Paul needs to supply? And how is he going to do it? Is he going to bring a bag of faith with him and dish it out to those who need a bit? Yes, literally. In Romans 10, Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Here's why Paul wants to go back to Thessalonica. That he might supply their poverty of faith, despite the fact that their faith appears so strong, to, to, to add to their faith, then he's going to do that by preaching the word of God, by opening the word to them, so that they may hear God and hear him speak. Because faith comes by hearing his word. And so my appeal this morning is don't stop coming to church. If you have to be online, don't stop the online thing as hard as it is. Don't stop just because church has got hard, church has got weird, because one of the deacons frowned at me last week. He wasn't frowning, he just had a little wind and he was all. <laughs> Come, gather, hear the word of God, that your faith may be increased. That God, by his word, may supply what is lacking in our faith. May we hear the word of faith, may, may, or that the word of God, that faith may be increased, that we may Number one, may faith increase. Number two, may love overflow. May love overflow. Don't you love Paul's praise right throughout the New Testament? So seldom, in other words, never, does he write about praying for your good health and for better job prospects and, and the overthrow of an unjust political system. Those are not the prayers that he prays. doesn't say, let's gather together and pray for, pray for Rome and pray for the emperor. I mean, he instructs us to do that, but what he prays in the church is that love for one another may overflow. 
And again, he's praying that love may overflow after hearing a good report of their love for one another. You know, like, do they need more? We just look ahead to chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Paul says this now about brotherly love. We don't need to write to you. You yourself have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So Paul's thrilled by what he sees in terms of the evidence of their love for one another. And yet, still says, let me pray that love may increase. Let love may overflow. Jesus said the sign of being a believer is that we love one another. This is how the world will know, by our love for one another. And a love that is practical in its expression. A love that is patient and kind. That doesn't get in a sock when someone doesn't do what you want them to do. That love is forbearing and forgiving. That love recognizes failures and failings and shortcomings and still forgives. That love neither envies nor boasts. It doesn't look at others to see what they have and go, gee, I wish, nor does it look at self and say, look at what I've got, I bet they're jealous. Love is not rude. It's not demeaning. Love is not self-seeking. Love always protects. It protects character. It protects confidences. It always trusts. It seeks to see the best and not the worst in others. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love doesn't give up and walk away. Do you wonder where all that's from? It's 1 Corinthians 13, right? And 1 Corinthians 13 was not written to be read out at weddings. As nice as it is to be read out at weddings, and as important as those characteristics are between a husband and a wife, it was written for the church. That in the church we respond to each other in new ways. And Timothy has said, I see this in Thessalonica. And Paul's like, that's wonderful. May there be more. May this increase, may overflow. Do we love one another? Are we quick to forgive one another? Are we eager to protect one another? Are we in a hurry to be patient with each other? I'll be honest, I've not been entirely patient with some in our church in the last year. I haven't. I've been a little too quick to write people off. What would it look like if we shaped our prayers for our church in the way that Paul prays? If we started praying that our love for one another might overflow. Not, oh Lord, may they, their love for me overflow, but that our love. Do I love as I should? No. Do you love as you should? Up to you to answer. But brothers and sisters, let us love one another as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. May faith increase, may love overflow, and thirdly, may he strengthen your hearts. And again, you go back to verse 8, where, where you get Paul's sigh of relief of, ah, now we can live, now we can breathe. Ah, oh, I can relax a little. The anxiety lifts. Why? Because you're standing firm. And that standing firm is a military term. It means no retreat, right? 
You've stood firm in the face of an advancing enemy and you have not given ground. You've stood firm. If you're old enough, some of you will remember the Rugby World Cup in 1995 and the game down in Durban where it was just torrential rain and the guys were playing in the swimming pool and there was real concern that someone might drown on the field. I mean, who would have thought, right? And you remember that we were ahead and France were given a scrum on our try line in the dying minutes of the game. And Kubis Misa, who is now a commentator and just blown up like a balloon, I mean, he was huge then. And he called the scrum together and said, Mana, we can go up, we can go down, we can go sideways, but we're not going back. And that's what happened. They didn't go back. No retreat. Standing firm. And this church at Thessalonica has been pushed. The pressure has been exerted. And Paul has been holding his breath. Will they retreat? Will they give in to opposition? Will they crumble? The enemy has advanced. But the church has withstood. The church has not given up and not given in to pressure. And so Paul's prayers that you may be strengthened that you may stand firm, that God will strengthen you so that when the pressure comes and the doubts begin to take root and the questions rise and, and disappointment sets in and the distractions weigh in from the sidelines, that in the face of all of these things, you will stand firm. Paul actually says that you be strengthened in your heart so that the purpose to this, so that you be holy and blameless. And we'll unpack next week what holy and blameless looks like in the early parts of chapter 4. But again, the prayer is just so much more than just temporal blessings. His longing is that you be holy and blameless. May you be strengthened in heart and not give in and not give up. So here's what I want to urge from you this week. To pray this prayer of Paul for us. Three simple things. May faith increase, may love overflow, and may hearts be strengthened. And for you to close your eyes and see in your head the people that aren't here. And pray that prayer for them. And to take a quick glance around now and see the people that are here. And pray the prayer for them. And so take a look at your own heart and pray this prayer for you. And to make this your earnest prayer this week. Pray this prayer every day. May faith increase, may love overflow, may hearts be strengthened. And in fact, I'm going to ask us to do something really weird and a little uncomfortable this morning. But it's okay to be uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask that we pray that here and now. And yes, we're supposed to stay distance, so don't get close, but maybe find another couple and kind of face each other and shout each other a little bit and pray this prayer. And I know, I know for some of you it's like, no ways, I can't pray out loud, I can't pray in public. That's okay. We don't have to. Okay, there's no pressure. If you're nervous and don't know what to say, then just say, Lord, may you increase faith. Amen. That's all, that's all we need. It's even on the screen so that you can't forget what to say. Lord, please increase faith. Amen. Are, are you brave enough to do that? No. Maybe. Maybe. Some. 
So maybe just find another couple nearby, two or three of you together, and uh, don't get too close. And let's just take literally three minutes, two, three minutes, and put into practice Paul's prayer. May faith increase, may love overflow, and hearts be strengthened. And then we'll sing one last time. Okay. One, two, three, go. <laughs>
each other, and may He strengthen your hearts so that you be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes, in whose name we pray. Amen.